0: Hello and welcome to Dinesh Guarda, Cities ABC Open Business Council YouTube podcast series. We are here once again to profile and talk with the leading personalities that are pushing business worldwide, but as well creating new narratives and solutions for the business and for our society. This series that I've been going for one year now, uh, and I've been profiling over 160 people all over the world and that we've been very proud of having from ministers to leading uh, organizations and as well leading personalities from technology, science, and academia. And one of the things we've been trying to do here is mostly looking at the, how to cope with the challenge that we're facing right now in terms of society, but as well, especially how to create better narratives. One of the things especially right now in the last two years with uh, both the pandemic of covid and as well, with everything happening around the, our society, with technology, with the so-called industrial revolution, and as well, with all the challenges coming out of uh, how these technologies are disrupting our society, we are rethinking and redesigning our society. And I think this is going to be a big thing, especially when it comes to work, to the way we do work between each other and the way we talk as executives. So that takes me to the guest of this uh, special series that today we have Nick Johnson that is the co-founder and the managing director at EGN Singapore that is Asia's largest confidential peer network for the C-suite and international and as well uh, Nick Johnson is as well an international best-selling author and he's going to be talking about this new book. So, just as a small preamble in terms of his uh, powerful profile and um, insights about his career, I will just uh, highlighting some of the areas where actually Nick has been quite successful. So, besides being the founder and managing director of ECGN, his EGN, um, as well, is a passionate about matching senior executives in confidential peer groups where they can help each other face challenges and identify opportunities. Nick has over 23 years of experience working across Asia, Australia, and Europe, representing major international film firms, and as well looking at uh, how executives can work between each other, how they can actually improve solutions, and as well how management can be uh, improved. And I think this is a big thing when it comes to present doing business worldwide but especially between the different cultures and as well the general part that touch management, direct sales and marketing. So uh, Nick as well is particularly interesting from his home country of Sweden. He's been in Asia for a long time between Singapore and as well Vietnam. And you're going to be talking about that, which is particularly interesting. He was vice chairman of the Nordic Chamber of Commerce in Ho Chi Minh City the second biggest city um, in Vietnam and the vice chairman of the direct selling committee in Vietnam that uh, further demonstrates as well as possibilities and as well the value of his global footprint and as well experience which is very important. He's as well involved in charitable and fundraising organizations and has been a volunteer and as well working with organizations like Samaritans uh, that is an organization related with suicide prevention outline in Singapore. And has been engaged in a lot of community work and society, which I think is particularly important for the context of our interviews and our series. As well, in terms of uh, some of his areas, and we're going to be talking today, is the passion for mental health awareness. And as well, uh, his book, uh, which was published this year in April 2021, and reached international bestseller status uh, that is uh, related with man's health, mental illness. 12 step program among others. And the the book right now is executive loneliness, how to avoid the workplace isolation. I think this is a big thing, especially nowadays with COVID, where we are all mostly working remotely, but as well, it's key and more and more important, uh, I think as we go into the economy of digital and the metaverse that we are right now getting to. So very excited to have you here, Nick. Um, it's an honor to have you here and i'm looking forward to talk with you
1: thank you very much dines for the warm introduction there it's a pleasure to be here my pleasure so
0: nick i want to start by um, i think the i would say the all the geopolitical cultural background and education that you've been having i think i think people i would say that any company that is successful it's normally about uh, the capacity to look at different cultures to adapt these cultures And as well, following relationships. And of course, you are an expert in executive uh, levels with your company. That is an executive global network. But as well, you have quite a lot of international experience working between different countries, different cultures. And for instance, I live as well five years in Sweden. I know that Sweden is quite unique and special when it comes to the rest of the world. And then if you go to a country like Singapore, you have probably the discipline, but it's a different culture. And if you go to Vietnam, it's completely even more different. And of course, Southeast Asia is completely out of the box. So I would like to hear from your background, from Sweden, for education, for all of this um, geopolitical experience that you have and geocultural.
1: Yes, Dennis, Indeed, I've experienced many different cultures. I was born in Sweden, 75, and then I worked, worked and studied in Sweden until I was about 23 years old. So 98, I moved to Australia, and I have not had Sweden as my home address since. So I spent most of my time in Australia and Southeast Asia. So, what I have learned through this is one thing. And I think it's good to be from Sweden in that sense, because Swedes are a little bit shy by expressing their opinions. We are not so loud. We tend to perhaps ask a few of our close friends or someone for a second opinion before we we make a bold announcement or just storm forward like some other cultures may do. I'm not gonna point out, but I think you know who I'm referring to here. Uh, So in that sense, actually, being a Swede board had been pretty good because we tend to look and see and we tend to start conversations by building relationships before we step down the foot and, and say what we mean. So that thing is, is something that really have helped me. And that's also what I'm now seeing, of course, in networks like EGN, but also being a part of the Chambers of Commerce and so on. It's all about listening. It's all about building relationships and communicating. So that is what I would say has been a, a summary of my success journey overseas So far.
0: And uh, I want to go a bit to the details because this is kind of um, as I, as well, I've been growing my business and I think Sweden was for me, both Sweden and Denmark. I worked literally between the two countries for six years. One of the things like you mentioned is that Sweden and Denmark and the Nordics are quite advanced, both on digital, both in terms of structural society and as well in a sense of uh, making a bridge between uh, a lot of things of mental uh, and as well kind of uh, sustainability so now that you are in asia for the last uh, almost decade or plus what would be like the the kind of the things that you see in terms of difference between of course sweden and nordics europe and the asia and southeast asia
1: I would say that uh, Asia was very much a place, at least until COVID, uh, where you had to meet in person. If you wanted business done in Ho Chi Minh City uh, or in Hanoi for that matter, you had to jump on a plane and uh, you had to talk to them to face to face. You had to take them out perhaps for a lunch or a dinner and very much entertain the relationships. Uh, that is something that have obviously changed with COVID. But if we look at in Europe, then we have, been quite comfortable with doing meetings online for many years. Uh, That has changed, of course, in Asia now. uh, So in that sense, I would say the digitalization have brought Asia and Europe closer. Uh, I am myself actually in Sweden at the moment. uh, I have not been working from Sweden as much in the last uh, years before COVID, but now Oh, with more, harder uh, border restrictions and so on. We are forced to work from different places. So in that sense, the digitalization have disrupted the way we think and the way we work, and especially for business development and sales, everyone keeps saying, I have to travel there, I have to see my customer. Well, we don't have much choice now. So we have to make the relationship work online. And that is the key trend I've seen with the changes uh, in, in the last two years, so one and a half years since COVID came.
0: Yeah, and I think this is going to be increasingly more important and, and it's still very difficult because a lot of business, I lost actually substantial initially at the beginning of COVID. There's a lot of business that was down because, of course, you cannot meet people and they cannot open. But then there's a lot of new opportunities coming out of this. So before we go to your company and um, and as well uh, the book, I want to touch So when you moved to Asia and you've been living there for a long time, and especially, of course, In the case of Vietnam, where we were actually 10 years, uh, 10 years ago, of course, Vietnam is not what it is now. So I would like just to hear because, of course, uh, that and then, of course, Singapore, which is kind of the probably the most advanced economy in the world, actually, in a lot of ways. But as well, has been kind of advancing at a massive velocity. So what would be like the shock, the cultural shocks that you went through when you moved both first to Vietnam and then to Singapore?
1: Well, with any country in Southeast Asia, the, the first culture shock is of course the languages. And I lived in Thailand, Indonesia and Vietnam. And uh, well, if you go into the business district uh, and the office uh, environment, of course, people speak English. But when you get outside and you jump in a taxi and they don't speak your English, that's the real challenge. So I would say professionally, uh, the 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 challenge is one thing but personally it is definitely another and that was the language barrier so i made an effort to try to learn the languages uh, at least for my social uh, Uh, for my social aspects, that was a lot easier. Professionally though, I think the the biggest challenges with Southeast Asia was always the legal understanding, uh, the compliance regulations and so on. Uh, When can you actually take some shortcuts or when do you need to uh, comply completely? And if you are always complying 100% to the book, then maybe you can never move forward. There will always be gray areas where you have to get the right advice to interpret it. in a country like Singapore or Sweden for that matter, most things are pretty straightforward and uh, everyone is working in the same way. So I would say those would be the biggest differences.
0: This is really very important I think for everyone listening to us because I think uh, one of the things I realized is these nuances make a big difference between successful business or failures uh, and sometimes you can actually have very big surprises and very big, very big failures if you don't manage this. So. That means that brings me to your company, and, uh, which is quite interesting uh, for our series because, of course, we have Open Business Council. That is precisely a network of businesses. But uh, I know that EGN is a particularly special network because it's an executive global network that has been focused in connecting and making the executives speak with each other. So can you tell us what it is EGN, so executive, executives global network, and how it works?
1: Yes, sure, Dennis. So what we do at EGN is that rather than building a big pool with, let's say, 500 or 1,000 executives that network, we are building in smaller groups. We call them peer groups. And in one peer group, there's around 25 to 30, either executives or business owners. And how we sort these groups is basically by seniority. So even by seniority, uh, you can be, for example, a regional director or executive director, or you might be an entrepreneur and a business owners group. Because what we have found is that in many networks, you have everyone in the same pool. And what happens many times then, and you've probably been to some chamber of commerce events when you come there and within five minutes, 10 people have rushed up to you and tried to give the business cards. And the next day the people will be cold calling you. So you wanted to basically eliminate all of this, and we did that by then creating these pools of members in peer groups, and we only allow one person from each industry inside a peer group. Everyone has to sign a non-disclosure agreement. We strictly don't allow anyone to sell market to promote themselves inside a peer group, so it becomes 100% knowledge uh, exchange, and that is what makes the difference, and that is why people are committed to these groups. So that's a little bit of the difference uh, of what we're offering, Denise that's very
0: very exciting and very interesting so c- can you tell us so like you i mentioned in reading your bio is that you were part of the chamber of commerce um in in actually vietnam um in the nordic chamber of commerce uh, in Sits, which is kind of like the commercial capital of vietnam so can you tell us about that work and then creating egn and, and how did you create because i think this is really as I would say that at the moment in business, we speak a lot about startups, investment, technology, but we forget this part. And I think what I, what I find, and that's why I created as well Open Business Council, is that there's a really need um, and actually increasingly necessary um, understanding of the nuances of executive talk and executive uh, network because it's really more and more important. But as well, the, the old chambers of commerce and a lot of these organizations are not digital at all. So the challenge is how to bridge all of this, because in the end of the day, that's great network and great business you can make, but it's not so easy to find the bridges and as well, this kind of network. So you have a bit both, both that experience and, and the EGN. So can you tell us how do you work, uh, first of all, from that experience and the, uh, right now with EGN, more of the details?
1: Yes, and if I should look at the Chambers of Commerce, and I'm still a member of a few of the Chambers of Commerce, and I love them for what they do. Uh, they're great for the social aspect. If you are from the UK, you may join them because you want to meet other people from the UK, and you join perhaps their holiday seasons. There's some social events and food events and so on. And then also you have very interesting topics and conversations and presentations. But I'd say it's almost like Netflix many times that you sit back and you watch a presentation by a speaker, afterwards you can ask a few questions. And the difference then what we've done at EGN is that it's uh, basically not a monologue like in many times in the shape of commerce, it's more of a dialogue we at EGN see ourselves as uh, administrators, facilitators, and moderators where we drive the discussions of the members. So the members are giving us feedback and talking to us and saying these are my work-related challenges, this is what I want to discuss. And then we are basically putting that on the table and we are then finding the experts to come in and lead these discussions and we moderate them. So in that sense we have flipped everything completely upside down that it's not a set agenda, but we arrange the groups where you're in a group with like-minded and you get together uh, and for half a day with a facilitator to discuss them. So ideally you should come in here, uh, perhaps having one or two key issues that you're working on right now in your business that you really need some guide or insight to support with and you should leave this session four hours later uh, fully motivated having written a page or two with insights and you can start to implement this right away. So that's where the difference is. You can almost say Dennis, this is almost like working with a coach or a mentor but rather than having one you belong to a group where everyone is helping each other with a learning mindset.
0: This is really exceptional and I think uh, for me I think more and more as I grow in my career I think this is the critical element missing both in a lot of business schools and a lot of education and uh, I've been teaching actually in business schools and I I understand the the importance of this. So ESG has now a global network of 14,000 members representing more than 8,000 companies and seven professionals. So can you tell us a bit how it works? Let's say if I want to get into ECAG, can I do it? Or is it just only by invitation? And as well, how you look between right now, especially last two years, between the digital and the offline, because, of course, a lot of these things uh, work very well offline. But online, I'm sure that you had to come up with a lot of new solutions.
1: Sure. The first thing to do when you become a member of EGN is to make sure that you belong to the right of these groups. So in Singapore, we have a bit over 400 members now. And they are divided in 17 groups. We have groups for SMEs, business owners. We have other groups for CFOs. We have groups for uh, managing directors in big MNCs and so on. So the first thing we do is to have a dialogue with someone where we identify what are the skills they have what would they bring to the table but also what are the challenges and then when we have that we'd look into the group so the matching is what is uh, what i'm hands-on is doing and i have a team who helped me with this to make sure that we find the right group and then once you're inside the right group uh, you actually also need to be approved in order to join there so the existing members of the peer group also need to approve you they do that to make sure there's no competitors there's not the conflict you wouldn't want to have perhaps your your neighbor or your ex-boss in the same group if you're going to be vulnerable and show and and, and explain what your your challenge is now. So that's the placement and so on is what we do. We do some homework here and we spend some time making sure you belong to the right group before you even get started with the first dialogue. So that's what you can expect once you get started. And when you're inside there, uh, the group meets six times a year, for four hours and these sessions are scheduled one year in advance because we're talking senior executives or business owners that have a hectic schedule so we schedule them way in advance uh, before covid these were all in person only during the uh, lockdowns they were only virtual now we're running them with hybrids in most of the countries so people can decide for themselves a few people may join in person and some are joining online and again it's very interactive. We have a facilitator dedicated to each discussion. And this person who is the facilitator, we call them a share. They follow the group and they are basically there, paid by EGN to hold the group together. They are the ones to make sure everything is professional and so on, and that there's an ongoing flow in the group. So you can say that that's the foundation of the peer group. And then in between, of course, with online tools, members have the mobile phone where they get the EGN mobile app. You can sit at your desk, for example, to post a query to the members inside your group, or you might want to post it to all the members in Singapore, the 400, or if you have a question and you want to reach out globally, then we filter it in our back office team and we send it to the relevant people. So if you, for example, want to know about transfer pricing between Singapore and Vietnam, what do you do these days then? Do you call up one of the bigger account- four accounting firms to get a quote? Uh, what consultant would you call for that? Yeah, maybe you just try Google, but how reliable is that? Here, you will actually post it in the EGN query app and you will get questions from relevant peoples where you can then start the dialogue. So it's, it's a form of networking where you reach out by asking a question and not as many times today on LinkedIn, for example, we are bombarded by sales and marketing messages and it's not from the relevant people as well.
0: This is really very interesting and uh, I think um... I would say that for me in particular, this is one of the biggest things that I think any executive listening to us or a startup or, or wannabe entrepreneur really needs to dive in and create this because it can help in a lot of different directions. It can help in terms of work, in terms of business development, but as well in personal development. And this brings us to your book. So your book is Executive Loneliness: How to Avoid the Workplace Isolation. So in your book, you raise awareness and highlight the steps how to eliminate the stigma around the phenomenon of executive loneliness, which is something that people sometimes don't think about it because normally an executive is normally someone quite successful that achieved a good career, is very well paid. And we don't talk about the well-being, about the mental health, and as well all the challenges that executives are going through. So can you tell us about your book and why did you wrote the book and a bit some of the highlights?
1: Yes, sure. And the reason for launching the book was that I joined a few hundred of these uh, confidential peer group meetings over the last years. And I started to hear how lonely either business owners or executives were in the decision-making, how often they felt uh, pressured by the boss or the board, and they didn't really have someone they could ask for advice. Perhaps they didn't want to bring the conversation home to the husband or the wife, or they didn't have someone in the office to discuss with because either they were the boss or they had someone below them and they couldn't really open up about the challenges to them. So in that sense, they felt very lonely. Uh, and I wanted them to dig a little bit deeper. And I created a survey where I was investigating basically how lonely they felt in the work. But also, what about the stress? Uh, is the West more challenging than the East, for example? Uh, that was one question I found quickly how much more stressful uh, they found it to manage the, the Asia, for example, due to the many legislations, the cultures, and so on. So. As I was getting the survey findings, I saw this is a very complex uh, place to work, and they feel lonely. They don't feel they have the support. They're working sometimes in two, three different time zones. They're working around the clock, and they don't they don't have anyone to talk to about this. So that's when I decided to do interviews, and I asked the uh, senior executives also if they want to be interviewed, and I had in-depth interviews where I more uncovered the challenges they were facing, and As I got the results and I shared it in one radio interview uh, two years ago, quickly many of the newspapers and magazines were calling me and wanted to interview me as well to have a look at the findings uh, because this was something that people were shocked when they saw. Uh, I found, for example, uh, that before COVID, 30% of them were suffering. Uh, from executive loneliness. And in December 2020, so in the middle of the pandemic, I did the same survey again, when 60% admitted to be suffering from executive loneliness. Uh, so these are really high alarming results. And, uh, and that is why I thought I better put together these findings in a book. And that's what I did. This book came out, as you said, in April this year and it's been hitting the shelves and uh, as a bestseller on Amazon and many other places now. And in the book, I'm sharing basically the survey findings, but also you can meet many of the senior executives who I interviewed, where they were sharing basically uh, how they were suffering, but also how to get out of it. The key of the book and the key messages that I'm sharing in how did other senior executives and business owners uh, basically go through this and come out stronger. And finally, I'm also sharing my story, Denis, as I have been working in Southeast Asia uh, the last sort of 15 years.
0: Well, this is really uh, quite impressive and quite uh, challenging. So I would like to go a bit more, if you would mind, to share with us some of these things. So for instance, in your website, Um you have a lot of the things on these, like the pressure of being executive, you mentioned the time zones, which is very stressful, because it, you sometimes don't sleep and I, I probably am one of them that you have, you are thinking, okay, I have the team in Asia, the team in the U S the team in Pacific, whatever. And you have to manage all of these different things. So um, any case study that you want to share with us, you mentioned that you have, so for instance, I know that the book has, for instance, there's a lot of uh, story of resilience and courage to tell things because this is a very it's normally something I think most of the executives, like a big hero, they want to talk about these things. Um, but this is a big, big thing that I think touches everyone. And I think especially the families of executives as well. So could you tell us about some case studies or some things you want to share with us that you think are really interesting for us and for the purpose of uh, people listening to us in different parts of the world?
1: Yeah, certainly. And uh, I mean, one of the main reasons for writing the book as well is that sadly there was... Uh, an executive that died of suicide two years ago in Singapore. And I happened to know this uh, gentleman who was gonna present at an EGN event and it touched us deeply. We had no expe- expectations what was gonna happen. We were all shocked uh, when, when he died. And that basically fueled me also to really push forward with a book. So let me share a, a story and a real example, which is inside a book uh, where we don't mention the lady's name, but it's a real person in Singapore who was suffering and uh, she had basically had a cosmetic uh, surgery due to an accident in her face. And after that, she lost a lot of her confidence. She lost her confidence at home uh, with her husband and she she was basically withdrawing more and more from him, uh, daring him to leave her after what had happened to her. And in the office, then, she also felt distant. She came back with... Uh, lacking of confidence and instead of uh, being humble about it she started to protect herself and uh, she pushed her colleagues further and further away from her and instead she worked independently to achieve the targets herself she was elbowing her way up getting a lot of promotions getting salary increases and so on the bosses were impressed but her colleagues didn't even want to go for lunch with her and this went further and further until she basically realized that there she was having a beautiful nice apartment a top job and she was having all the money in the world the credit cards she had two children both with their own nanny but she wasn't happy and this kept playing in her head that she wasn't happy despite she had it all it went so long that she actually started to plan her own suicide she even rehearsed her own suicide twice and I'm sharing this in the detail inside the book uh, how she went through this process and it was only later on when she managed to uh, coming out of this and and saved her life uh, by speaking up about it. She got help through the therapist to uh, manage to help her uh, turn everything around. And these days, she also shared what happened to her, not only the book, but she shared it with her colleagues inside her company. And she basically helped to transform the whole company culture by her admitting to how she felt internally and what she was going through all the other colleagues were also starting to open up. And I've been staying very close with her now during the COVID-19 regulations and restrictions. And her team has been one of the most open and warmest and closest out of all of them. Because you can imagine since she had shared such a uh, detailed in-depth story about herself, now when her colleagues felt a bit isolated and bad uh, and perhaps a bit depressed during the, uh, this recent pandemic, then they would have opened up as well. And the fact is here, Diniz, and this is some of the key findings of the book. As soon as you just start to share your problem with one other person, then the problem is already on the way to be solved. It is when we keep it inside us. And when we're holding on to this, that's when we generate the loneliness. And uh, the sooner we can break that pattern, the, the better and the, the faster we're on our way to recovery.
0: Well, wow, This is a very powerful and disturbing story. And I think there's something that, Probably, I think, like you said, most of the people keep these for themselves and they try not to really talk about it. So I want to go through. So the book touches about five steps related with the, with the precisely, um, how to deal with these challenges. So you're talking about taking shock, asking for help, getting healthy, nurturing healthy relationships and finding your purpose. So can you highlight about these five steps?
1: Yes, uh, that's a summary of uh, what helped me as well when I went through uh, loneliness. And in my case, it was that I moved from another country to a new country when you don't know someone and so on. And you typically put on a facade. You want to look good as a boss. Uh, You don't want to admit to vulnerability, especially if you're just new to a new country, a new company, it's the last thing you do. So what I learned and the five pathways and is the first one is taking stock. With that, I mean that you need to be honest with yourself. You need to be vulnerable. In my case, when I didn't feel well, I started to drink too much beer. I went too much after work. Instead of going to the gym and relaxing or sleeping, I went to the bar. Uh, as many expats do and I drank beer to relax and this became a bad habit in my case and I was blind for it. I didn't want to admit it. It was only when I started to basically admit it to myself that it, this is becoming a problem that I could sort it out. So that was the first step, uh, Dennis.
0: I, I appreciate and I'm very grateful for your honesty about this because I think it's really something that people don't talk about it and i know that mental health has been one of the biggest things coming out of all this pandemic on the top of all the other things uh, so i want to touch one thing on this direction so i know that uh, the asian culture is much more aggressive towards people working and i had that experience special singapore is very aggressive um, vietnam as well people are very very focused on work whereas in europe there's a much different even in the u.s instance, if you look at the u.s the the normally holidays per year is normally a week. I know that in Sweden, you have four or five weeks and the Nordics um, and in Europe, there's a much more social welfare. So how do you see this when it comes to the cultural part of executive, um, both this part in the context of your book, but as well in terms of the cultural nuances, because I think this is really important. And I think this is even more relevant uh, when people like you and me that are managing people all over the world and have to... Uh, For instance, like just a small example you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, if I'm dealing with someone from Sweden, the way I put my voice, if I raise my voice, can be seen as a very aggressive thing, whereas if I'm from a Latin country like me, I'm Portuguese and partly French, raising the voice is kind of normal. Um, But I think these kind of nuances are really important. So I would like to touch this in the context of the book and then the context of mental health and executive uh, leadership.
1: Yes, indeed. And and Dennis, uh, according to my experience, uh, we are much more open about these uh, conversations and these topics in Europe. Indeed, Asia is much more closed. It's much more of a society that you want to look good. You want to have a nice car, a nice apartment. You want to look good. And the fashion brands, the watches and so on is something that uh, every or well, most uh, senior executives and business owners indeed in Asia are wearing. Uh, not so much in Europe, at least not anymore. So if we look then at executive loneliness, uh, me being a foreigner, I need to be basically the role model and leading by example here, especially as I'm leading a networking organization with more than 400 leaders inside. I have to be open, I have to be transparent, Because only then can I expect the other members to also open up. It's therefore important for any business owner or business executive to be vulnerable because you're creating a culture, like I mentioned with the lady who planned for her own suicide. She was the head of a department in a big bank, but she managed to change the culture in her whole office. And she was an Asian, so this sat a lot deeper for her to the point where uh, she or even planned for her own suicide. Imagine if one year earlier when she was just unwell, she spoke to someone and she had opened up, it wouldn't have gone so far. Uh, so that is one of the issues. And also in, in Asia, uh, if we're talking about suicide here, in, even in Singapore, suicide attempts was only decrim- decriminalized by January 1, 2020. So until then it was not even a legal to talk about these conversations. So that's how new it is uh, for a country even like Singapore to have the conversation we're having today. But the more we talk about this, the more open we are, the more we are basically breaking the stigma and removing the stigma around this topic so that we can talk about it before it goes too far. But indeed in summary here, the East Asia is behind and we who have Experience from the Western countries. We need to lead by example and help driving this conversation forward.
0: And how can we do that? So, so I would like to go more in details because I, th- I think really what I've been finding, even for me, first, I have a lot of challenges. Sometimes, right now, of course, during COVID, is even more in- incredible, uh, difficult. Is that so? let's say once in my case i'm used to work remotely for a long time so that's not a problem but uh, but when it is like one year two years becomes really a bit different because uh, that means you hiring people you never saw them um and then you have to deal with this these ways of relating and as well measuring the body language on a zoom call which is not always easy and a lot of people are with children behind or at least they if it's a young person the attention spam is very difficult and if you are an executive this is very stressful i i, I have my own stresses both on managing teams but as well in coordinating different things and i've been seeing the most awkward for us i've been in a in a in a zoom where people from governments where there were children behind the the, the representatives and and of course this is especially if you are an executive and you're a mother or a father or if you are managing these things it's much more difficult so how do you look at all these different things that the findings you have in your book, but as well in the light of COVID and in the light of, of course, because we're still going through the pandemic and, if, unfortunately, probably still will take one year more. Realistic, I think we have to be realistic, and it probably even two. But uh, it's a kind of a, it's quite challenging because a lot of business and industries are going through a lot of challenges, but as well, people are digital, are getting faster. So there's a lot of paradox on the air. So I'd like to hear your input on this.
1: I think, Dennis, we have to really look at things in a way where we make shorter targets, shorter commission schemes, targets, uh, closer stay in touch. Uh, Before it used to be that we had evaluation, uh, performance talk once a year, Uh, maybe we had a yearly bonus. This doesn't work anymore. We need to really break it down. And even what I done in EGN now for my small team here, we have set up a monthly commission scheme for all the staff with different parameters. They have to send a daily, re- a small update, a report on some key parameters, but then update this daily. So they see where they stand in percentage-wise towards the month. They are all moving together towards the same target. It can be your number of calls they need to make, the sales they need to make or v- uh, different parameters. Uh, and then it's very clear when you close the month and you celebrate as a team, uh, you need to have Weekly calls when you update them on this, taking their questions, their feedback. You have that in a team environment, but also one on one environment where you talk to them. Uh, we have also set up quite a lot of chat groups. You can have uh, on use WhatsApp or you can use Teams or whatever it may be. And it's important to have different levels here. And what I've seen. What we have learned from other companies, what we do is you have some, which are a little bit more formal where you keep the business conversation and so on, but then you should also can have some subgroups based on interest where you can communicate. And it's important also to have where you can share jokes because I think humor is something that we really need these days when it's been challenging around us. And uh, especially as we work cross border, uh, one day it's fine in, in one country, but another is suffering. So let's be there for each other by sharing jokes, And having a sense of humor and we can do all of these things online today and of course when we have a chance to meet uh, in person that's great but as you said it this is around for another while so we just have to make the best of it
0: well I I think we its going to be still the next two years a lot of challenges on this direction because it's not going to be stopping and you're going to have a lot of other things so coming back to the book and as well from the book to your executive network so what would be like say in the top level, uh, summary, the main things that you saw and you touched very sensitive stuff from suicide of of one case study in this case to even in your case, which I appreciate your honesty as well of sharing with us, the challenge you had about drinking and as well, how this disrupt as well your life, the loneliness, but as well, the, the point of you are doing all of this among different cultures, uh, among as well, uh, very different languages as well. And as well uh, in an international ecosystem that sometimes people, I think people forget this because let's say when you look right now, there's as well this kind of uh, excess about some executives that take really massive profits and the rest of people are really living on the edge. So that's as well, a, a lot of so- social kind of pressure and the family and all the different things. So. I would say from the recommendations that you have from the book um, and as well from the, the resources related with this, what would be the things you would like to share with us? And of course uh, we'll put all the links to this in your website. There's a lot of things both from what people are saying about you and what people are saying about the book. But there's a, a huge section about resources. And I really f- love uh, this section because I think that is something that uh, most of people don't know about this. And I think especially this time, this is really important.
1: Yeah, sure. And that links us nicely into the step two on the five pathways I mentioned before step one, which was taking stock and number two is asking for help. And that's why the resources are there inside the book, but also on my website for anyone to find the resources and ask for help, because that's what I did when I realized and I admitted to myself and I had a problem with alcohol, I needed to ask for help. And that's what I did and I got help very quickly. I have now not had any alcohol for over three years uh, as of today. I realized that was a challenge. I had to change my diet. I needed a nutritionist. And in my resources, there's nutritionists, there's uh, also therapists, there's coaches, there's people for every single area. And uh, while you can easily go to Google, uh, in my resources there, indeed, you have a list and no matter what your challenges are. And the step three I had is exactly about that, about getting healthy. If you're overweight, if you're not sleeping well, or if you had a, have a drinking problem, like in my case, all the resources. there to get healthy and then uh, step four in my book is about having healthy relationships and uh, very briefly what I mean with that is having healthy relationships with yourself but also with all your colleagues and at home with all your family because only when you have good relationships around you uh, will you feel well and be okay and my final and the fifth Uh, pathway in the book is finding your purpose because that's what really helped me and that is when I started to really feel uh, recovered Uh, and in my case finding the purpose was since I went through this journey of recovery was to give it back and there was someone in my a support group that said, in order to keep the gift of a recovery, you have to give it away. So that is what I do with my charity efforts, with my support group, and SOS and others in Singapore. So I hope that the resources that you find inside the website and the book also can be valuable. Thank you so
0: much for that, and I really uh, appreciate again the the sincerity and as well this kind of thing. So the, one of the things that I want to touch is that. Um, on your section of website, you have four areas that I think are really important. So one is support, context, and the appliance. The other thing is leaders-anonymous.com, which I didn't know about this, but it's quite interesting and I think really very relevant. Then, of course, there's your personal website. And then, of course, the executive global network. So how can people listen to us join any of these organizations? And if you can tell us about, of course, you, you told about your own organization, but both your website. Leaders Iphone Anonymous and other contexts that you can highlight for the group of people listening to
1: us. Yeah. So Leaders Anonymous is my new community site, which is the backbone basically of the um, book. Uh, This is uh, as of now is free dinners for anyone who want to go in and join. It's free for now, the membership. And there I'm sharing some readings, articles, and also from senior executives and business owners. It's all related to mental health. so that's the Leaders anonymous page. When it comes to EGN, uh, while I am the founder of EGN in Singapore, people, if you are listening as a, in Singapore, feel free to contact me. I'll be happy to have a conversation with anyone about finding a peer group for you in Singapore. EGN is also in a few other countries. So. They can also contact me and I can connect them with my counterpart uh, parts in the other countries if they're interested in looking at EGN. Finally, my personal website is there for anyone who want to get in touch with me. If you are listening to this and uh, you are suffering or perhaps you have a colleague or someone in your family who you are worried about, feel free to con- uh, contact me. I'm here to help as well.
0: Thank you so much once again, Tak, Nick. So, so uh, uh, Nick, I want to touch right now a bit more bigger picture. So, from this part, uh, so I know as well that you are a triathlon an Ironman um, uh, personality and as well, very involved on in this. So you're taking right now very seriously, your elf And as well, more than that now it's, Ironman is not an easy task or triathlon. So that's more than just taking care of your elf. You are really competitive and as well involved in a lot of sports and personal developing and physical development. So from the, the example of the book, your network, um, for people leading to us and, and I think really one of the things I always like is how can we learn how can we kind of self improvement and as well this biohacking concept and things like that can you tell us a bit about a bit bigger bigger picture right now from and of course all these platforms and I, I really recommend people to buy your book and to get to your website and engage with that because it's really an area I would say that everyone listening to us isn't is a kind of a leader of themselves first of all so the more you learn how to yourself the more successful you're going to be. So, but how do you look at this from your experience to the global challenge we're facing when it comes to executives and the future of work?
1: Yeah, so in in my case, Dennis, uh... I need to have some goals in order to get out of bed early in the morning. So for me, it's easier to sign up for an Ironman event and train for a year because I have a big goal to look forward to. And I know I need to jump out of bed every morning to go for my exercise or I won't be able to finish the race. So that is how I set myself up. And I know that many especially men are very goal driven. So that is what's working for me. The ad hoc run once a week or uh, going for a walk now and then without having it scheduled or fixed and without a routine, is really, really struggling for me. So this though, have really helped me is to go through the pandemic because when you have that long-term mindset, well, I'm, I have a race in 10 months from now and you can already basically invisible invisible yourself at the finish line and you break that down, then every day you basically mentally, you see yourself at that finish line. So it doesn't matter the setbacks, the hurdles, the challenges we've gone through during this time have not really affected me. It has affected people without clear goals and purpose in life. And that is, I think, is the key picture and the big picture to stop looking here at what is happening right now here in in, in the moment, if it's challenging and difficult, just think about the big picture and work towards that.
0: And for is just, sorry, I want to go a bit more in detail. So so kind of any exercise, top level, of course, that you suggest for people listening to us, because I think this kind of things is... I think everyone knows that. Uh, but for instance, the challenge is especially how we go from the theory to the practice. And especially like you said, the, the goals and setting the goals and measuring is really a key element. But very few people, or actually I would say most of the people fail around that. And the failure on just starting, for instance, I fail in the sports side because I, I get too much excited about my work. Um, but each person has different challenge. Might be a family, might, and like you mentioned, for instance, if you have challenges with your family, that might be not so open towards your job or to your time. Sometimes you, you work hours and hours. So kind of like concrete, uh, and of course, the your website and the book talks about this, but really like a, a specific exercise That eventually you suggest here
1: well it really goes back to the step two then asking for help i mean if you're stuck in may it be a relationship or a fitness goal or whatever there will be a coach or a specialist to talk to in that area so when i lost my fitness and i gained a lot of weight i couldn't come back to being fit uh, by myself i needed help i needed someone who would hold me accountable on my goals and my targets someone who really was an expert in that area so that i think is what i always have done Dennis. i invested in materials i invested money in books uh signing up for podcasts but i also invested money i had i've been fortunate enough to afford to pay for coaches uh for example now Dennis, i i'm working also on a keynote for example And I have a dream to one day be able to do a TEDx talk. Uh, But I'm not an English native, so it's quite challenging for me. So what did I do? I I, I looked up a TEDx uh, speaker coach, and I'm working with her. I'm working with her now already for two months. She's a specialist specifically in this area, and we're working towards this goal. So this now, we said, it doesn't have to be this year, but perhaps sometime next year we should be able to have a case and put forward and apply For a TEDx talk to me. So that's one of the sort of projects I'm working on, a long-term project for myself to basically increase my performance in being a public speaker, but also then to achieve that status uh, and be able to have that on my profile. And that is really keeping me motivated. It's just the same way as setting up a goal towards exercise or whatever it may be in your life. But that is my key there is uh, sign up with someone and make sure they hold you accountable.
0: That's a great example. And I think that shows as well that if you want something, make it happen. But as well, don't rely just on yourself. Uh, so Nick, thank you so much We best one hour. So just one, one um, can you tell us, well, I, I mentioned your website, but how people can contact you and as well behind you, there's your email. Uh, so in your picture, but um, if just to kind of about, about uh, where people can find you, where people can engage. Uh, and how people can actually get into um, the EGN network and as well in other networks that you're building right now.
1: Actually, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. If you go to LinkedIn and you punch in Nick Johnson, that's N-I-C-K, J-O-N-S-S-O-N, and yes, indeed, you can see there behind me. Or you can even scan the QR code there. (laughs) There it is. You can scan that. That links uh, to my LinkedIn page, and you can then uh, connect with me there. And on my LinkedIn, you have all the links to my various sites and so on. And I'm looking forward to be connected with you. And if I can be of any service or assistance, just let me know.
0: Well, thank you so much, Tak. Uh, so I think it's really impressive what you guys have been doing both with the EGN and as well the network that you've been building, which is really fantastic. Um, and I think for everyone listening to, 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 to us, uh, I definitely will look more in terms of the details of the book and see how I can actually learn and actually improve and be a bit more developed. And as well for the ones that eventually have considered or having gone through some challenges, don't rely on yourself. There's a lot of fantastic things. Uh, I think, uh, uh, Nick, you mentioned about the platform that you build. Uh, I think it's really impressive. The leaders is iPhoneAnonymous.com, which I think for people going for challenges, but as well, of course, the network uh, that people have from the Chambers of Commerce and in networks like EGN. Um, really an honor to have you here, Nick. Um, I hope we can actually do other things in the future.
1: Thank you very much, Diniz, and uh, I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to be in touch, and I'm sure our paths will cross, and I'm there if I can help you expand uh, your network in Asia. Thank you so much.